0: You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. The children were gathered in an old vault in the middle of the complex, huddled, frightened, held tightly by their mothers. Outside, sounds of tanks and the yells of men came through windows and reclaimed wooden doors. But in here, they were safe. The vault had stopped a fire before. Everything else had been charred and destroyed. But the most precious things had remained unlicked by the flames. They were safe in here. They would be okay. As the tank crashed into the building, the modified nozzle began shooting a searing gas into the vault. Their little lungs filled with poison as their mothers looked on with horror, helpless unable to do anything except hold wet sheets or towels over the mouths of their children, as gas masks aren't fitted for toddlers. Welcome to the Red Pill of the Week. I'm Cam Harless from Make Liberty Great Again, and today we're finishing the story of David Koresh and the time the federal government used tear gas on toddlers. You are a slave. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage. Born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. All I'm offering is the truth. Nothing more. When the FBI pulled up to take over the operations in Waco, it was reminiscent of their time in Idaho. The ATF had screwed the pooch and four more ATF agents had died. They had to clean up their mess. The FBI began their negotiations with David Koresh and the others holed up in Mount Carmel. One of Koresh's requests was that they not burn the church down and to please not shoot the people or the kids. They gave the Davidians a video camera and asked them to explain who they are why they were there, and what was going inside of that house. These videos, at the time, were not given to the press. This would have softened the public sentiment on Koresh and the Davidians. The decisions in the negotiation were not made by the FBI negotiators. Instead, they were decided in D.C. This did not please the negotiators in the least. They had to work in the moment to try and ensure a peaceful end to the standoff. The FBI brought in their hostage rescue team. This team was headed by Commander Richard Rogers, who had previously been criticized for the part he played in the Ruby Ridge incident. As with Ruby Ridge, Rogers often overrode the FBI site commander and had mobilized the blue and gold tactical teams. FBI snipers were put in places where they could ensure that anyone leaving would be gunned down. The blue team was led by Lon Hurryuchi, the sniper that had killed Vicki Weaver on Ruby Ridge. At first, the Branch Davidians still had the ability to communicate outside of Mount Carmel. Koresh gave phone interviews with local news media. The FBI cut off all of the Davidians' communication to the outside world and made sure that the only people Koresh could communicate with was the FBI. After much talking and convincing, Koresh eventually agreed to leave the complex peacefully with everyone inside of Mount Carmel if a taped sermon of his was broadcasted on national news. When they agreed and the broadcast was through, Koresh nor his congregation left Mount Carmel. Koresh said he felt that God had told him to wait, and he told his people and the FBI negotiators that they should wait on God to sort everything out peacefully. The FBI has since claimed that Koresh had promised to come out five times and reneged every time. There is absolutely no evidence or phone records to corroborate this claim. A psychological profile was performed on Koresh. The profiler sent out four memos that told the FBI to be cautious and non-confrontational with Koresh. The profiler claims that he was pressured to change the assessment to justify a more confrontational approach. Then, the FBI began their psychological warfare campaign. They brought in speakers and would blast the sounds of rabbits being slaughtered, horses neighing, dolphin cries, breaking glass, and these boots are made for walking by Nancy Sinatra at the complex. They use these loud, disturbing noises and shine floodlights into the windows to disturb the inhabitants' sleep cycles. The Davidians, tired, attacked, and being intentionally pushed towards insanity, reached out to the outside world the only way they knew how. They created a banner that they hung from a window to call for help. God help us. We want the press. The banner read. The corporate media, being the bloodthirsty sons of bitches that they are, shot a short, smiling video where they sarcastically replied, God help us. We are the press. And extended no help to the trapped and frightened people. Some of the agents would mock the Branch Davidians. Some were seen pulling down their pants and mooning the people inside aiming their asses at open windows. As negotiations continued, the aggressive outward display did not match the words of the FBI negotiators. The tanks the FBI was driving around their property left a far different impression than the words of their negotiators. When they finally let the Davidians fetch Peter Gent's body from the top of the silo, they buried the body out front and had a serene moment while they laid him to rest. Shortly thereafter, the tanks intentionally drove over the newly disturbed soil above the boy's body multiple times. The tanks ran over cars and other parts of the compound. But the Davidians stayed put. They didn't shoot at the tanks or the agents. The FBI believed that they were winning. They were pushing these people to the point of desperation. The negotiators asked if the Davidians had fire extinguishers. They said that they had a single fire extinguisher in the complex, When the negotiator heard this, he replied, Somebody better buy some fire insurance. Locals and people from all over the country came to Waco to witness this standoff. They couldn't get too close to the actual property, but they brought telescopes and made a party out of it. A young man whose name you may also know, Timothy McVeigh, having followed the happenings at Ruby Ridge, showed up to sell some stickers and other items outside of Mount Carmel. Over time, several members and 21 children were released from Mount Carmel. The adults were immediately arrested and charged with first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder over the deaths of the ATF agents. Their children were given to CPS. It was noted that all of the children were intelligent, well spoken, healthy, and well taken care of. Another banner was hung from the window FBI broke negotiation. We want press. The Davidians wanted to have a third party to negotiate with that they felt they could trust. The FBI did not allow this, and the corporate media did not come to their aid. Another banner was hung from the window. Rodney King, we understand. On April 14th, there was a major breakthrough. David Koresh had never written out his teaching on the Seven Seals. He felt like he had to wait on God's permission to write them out and release that information. Koresh had felt led to finally write out and release his interpretation of the Seven Seals. He was beginning the writing process, and once done, He stated that he and the entire congregation would leave Mount Carmel peacefully and willingly. That's what he felt God had told him. The negotiators seemed pleased at this development, but most said they didn't believe that he would actually write them or have anyone leave the compound. He began dictating his interpretation of the seven seals on April 18th. He spent four hours that night writing and completing his first seal. But the FBI didn't wait for him to bring it out. They didn't wait for him to finish. The next morning... April 19, 1993, they decided to make their move. The FBI devised a plan of inserting tear gas into Mount Carmel. The White House was advised of this, although the logs of those calls were redacted. The FBI claimed that the negotiations had reached an impasse, that no one was coming out, that the writing of the SEALs was a stalling tactic, and that Koresh was not working on the SEALs. However, the negotiators knew that the first SEAL was finished. They had sent in typewriter Ribbon to Koresh so he could prove it, But the next morning at 5.50 a.m., they unleashed their tanks. This was the first time the U.S. government actively used tanks against its own people and their property. Most of the Davidians hid. The children were sent to what the FBI called the Bunker, a records vault that had lived through a fire in the past. The tanks drove up to the compound and began puncturing holes into the buildings. They destroyed different areas of the compound as they did so the tanks began spraying CS gas into the complex. But CS isn't a gas. It's a chemical powder that is considered one of the most severe forms of tear gas. The FBI had dissolved the CS into methylene chloride, a volatile chemical used to strip paint. Together, they formed an aerosol mist when sprayed through huge steel injectors fitted on the tanks. In enclosed spaces, CS alone can cause unconsciousness death and can be ignited by a small spark into a fireball. When CS and methylene chloride burn, hydrogen cyanide is produced. This is the same gas that is used in prison gas chambers. Tear gas is torturous. They planned to gas everyone in the compound for 48 hours until they came out, but they used up all of the gas they had planned to use over two days within two hours and had to get more brought in from Dallas. The people within the complex, including children and the elderly, were tortured with this gas for three to four hours. Some adults had gas masks that they used until the filters were spent, but the children never had a chance of filtering it out of their lungs, outside of holding wet blankets to their faces, which works just as well as you might think. The FBI had hidden bugs in some of the supplies that they had sent to Mount Carmel, and some government operators had also gotten onto the property to hide bugs. After much scrubbing by the FBI, they were able to find snippets of audio around this time where a Branch Davidian was heard saying, I already poured it. It's already poured. Don't pour it out. We might need some later. And, we only light them as they come in, right? These snippets, which had to be severely scrubbed and edited down by the FBI to be understood at all, were used to claim that the Davidians were planning to set a fire using gasoline. Other reports claimed that they were creating Molotov cocktails to throw at the tanks if they broke through the building. But no Molotov cocktails were thrown. The CS, at the concentration that it was delivered into the house, would have led to gas masks failing. It would lead to unconsciousness. It is very possible that at that point, most everyone in the building would have been inert. The agents started firing ferret rounds at the compound with the excuse that the Davidians were shooting at them. There is no evidence that the Davidians were, in fact, shooting at them. These ferret rounds delivered more CS into the building, and if someone was shot directly in the head or the chest with one, they were strong enough to kill. They fired these rounds into every window at Mount Carmel and at any movement in the house. While this assault was ongoing, the FBI made sure that any news vans and cameras were only aimed at one side of the house, leaving the other side a blind spot to any outside observers. Another tank was working in this blind spot. April 19th was a windy day. As the tanks bashed holes in the building, it opened up the house in such a way that it created what would be described as a potbelly stove. As the siege wore on, a fire erupted in three different places in the building within three minutes. The CS gas ignited, creating cyanide and fireballs that engulfed the building. On video, in front of the whole world, Mount Carmel burnt to the ground. The cyanide in the air made muscles contract to the point of breaking bones. A child's charred remains were discovered whose body had contorted into a C-shape from the muscle contractions. Only a few made it out alive. The Branch Davidians burned to death in front of an entire nation in real time. The fire killed 79 people, including 22 children. The special agent in charge held back the firefighters that had arrived on scene because he didn't want them to drive into gunfire. This was a tragedy. This was a horror unfolding in the clear light of day. This was when coincidences and inconsistencies started piling up and the FBI claimed that the Davidians had committed mass suicide. Since 1993, former FBI, Special Forces, and CIA operatives have come forward with evidence to suggest that this claim is a blatant falsehood. There's a lot to unpack here, so stay with me as I unroll it. The FBI said that there was no other way to bring Koresh and the Branch Davidians out. However, when operators had snuck into the building to plant listening devices, they were close enough to David Koresh to grab him and remove him from the premises without incident. They asked permission, but were denied because, quote, the Justice Department already had a plan in place. Attorney General Janet Reno claimed that there was no wrongdoing and that the reason she had approved the gas attack was because Koresh was beating babies and likened the tanks to rent-a-cars. I have a feeling that those children saw things a bit differently when the tanks rolled up to torture them with tear gas to protect them from future beatings. Instead of seeing the final siege through, she left to give a speech in the middle, leaving decisions to the FBI and other Clinton White House officials. The decisions that were made in that situation room have not been revealed. The FBI claimed that no fires were shot by the FBI at the Davidians. Edward Allard, the creator of FLIR technology, an infrared technology that was used by the FBI, watched the footage taken above Mount Carmel before the fire from an FBI plane. He counted 62 individual shots aimed at Mount Carmel from the outside before he stopped counting. In the infrared video, you can see what looks like two people dropping out of the tank and taking a flanking position to cover the tank as it entered the building. There were flashes of light coming from these figures that matched automatic weapons fire at 10 flashes per second, or 600 rounds per minute. The FBI claimed that these must simply be light reflections that the camera caught. Light flashes made by reflection, Allard says, would not show up like that on a FLIR camera. He said for that to have been the case, the plane would have to have been circling Mount Carmel at Mach 3. There is no other explanation of these flashes outside of gunfire. There is nothing in nature that can match the rate of these flashes. The FBI claims to have replicated the incident and that the flashes could, in fact, come from reflections. However, Their replication was not done in the same conditions as the original incident, and Allard has claimed that it does not show what they say it does. As the tank pulled out, more shots were taken from the courtyard into the dining room area, the Davidians' escape route from the fire. The figures shot as they were retreating from their position. Fifteen people were found shot to death at that location. All of this was verified by a third party, Infrospection who said, It was obvious to me on several occasions that there was gunfire or automatic weapon discharge seemingly fired towards the building from the outer perimeter. They continued, Due to the potentially sensitive nature of this material and the resulting negative repercussions to introspection, we are choosing to decline any further comments surrounding this taped incident and our subsequent professional opinions regarding its viewing. 60 Minutes, who was in contact with infrospection, did not share this information at the time. Carlos Giglotti, a FLIR expert, agreed with Allard's assessment that this must be automatic weapons fire, but was found dead prior to turning in his report. Lon Heriucci, the murderer of Vicki Weaver, claimed that he did not fire his weapon. At his sniper position, there were four spent shell casings. Around 27 Davidians died of gunshot wounds. The FBI claims that they either shot themselves or were killed by other Davidians. One child was found with a wound indicative of stabbing. Some believe that gunfire caught on infrared video tells a different story. The FBI claimed that they had not run over any of the Branch Davidians with their tanks and that no bodies were found in the area where they had driven into the complex with their tanks. Just a bit further into the complex, in the location where they entered, five bodies were found. Stephen Henry had a gunshot wound to his chest and his leg was sheared off at the hip. Later examinations showed that James Riddle's body was torn apart by wounds that matched tank treads. A tread reportedly came off during the operation due to getting jammed on something red. Infrospection has concluded that there were occasions on this video that seemed to appear as though people were entering, exiting, or being run over by an armored vehicle. There was no damage to the tank submitted on the official damage reports. The FBI claims that they did not start the fire of the three fires that started within three minutes in the complex there was a flash in the gym that was consistent with the detonation according to allard infrospection concluded a portion of the video showed a flash or pyrotechnic explosion in one portion of one of the buildings the detonation in another area where the fire started was found to be consistent with the detonation of a hand grenade or a flashbang six flashbangs were found in the evidence six years later they appear to have gone through the structure and were found in all three points of the fire's origin. They were mislabeled as silencers or gun parts in the evidence locker. Once the fire died down and all of the bodies were burned, the Branch Davidian flag flew off of their flagpole. The ATF spent no time in raising an ATF flag to fly in its place. If that's not a mark of conquest, I don't know what is. From there, evidence and bodies were collected and the property was bulldozed. Destruction of a crime scene that quickly is not typical. There, they found the automatic weapons they were looking for, although several claimed that those guns were not on the premises prior to February 28th. The FBI took all of the evidence from local authorities to examine themselves. A local coroner had sent out an employee with a video camera to document the incident. The tape was taken on-site by an agent. The tape was never returned. Allegedly, it was misplaced. As mentioned before, the tape of the first shots of the first raid from three different cameras were lost, as was the door that would have showed who had taken the first shots. The bodies that were recovered there were held in freezers by the FBI. The power to those freezers happened to go out and the bodies lost much of their forensic value. The FBI said that they had no help from the military in the siege at Waco. But on April 14th, Janet Reno had a meeting with the FBI command team and Brigadier General Shoemaker and Colonel Boykin from the Delta Force. This meeting was allegedly meant to convince Reno to authorize the final assault. Previously confidential documents prove that Delta Force was at Waco despite assertions to the contrary. Over 10 Delta Force operators at Waco participated and Delta Force members have admitted to being in a firefight with the Branch Davidians. The only person who can give authorization to use the Delta Force or the American military against American citizens on American soil is the president. Which means that President Clinton was not only aware, but approved their involvement. He even admitted to doing so. Vince Foster was the point person for the White House in the case of Waco. After his untimely suicide, a search was done in his office. The FBI conducted a search and found no documents about Waco whatsoever. Maggie Williams, the Chief of Staff to First Lady Hillary Clinton, had visited Foster's office the night of his death and removed a box of files. Foster's assistant took the box to the presidential residence to be reviewed by the First Lady. Foster's assistant testified to this under oath. All throughout the siege, David Koresh was likened to Charlie Manson and Jim Jones. He was a cult leader. He was a rapist. He was a child abuser. They use language that is hard to get away from that pushes this narrative. Army of God. Sinful Messiah. Compound. Bunker. Cult leader. They didn't show the home videos made by the Branch Davidians before the fire, and they never spent time to find out who the people were. It seems clear that they had a plan to boost the ATF's reputation, and things went as wrong as possible, and this many coincidences points to a cover-up. Was David Koresh a messiah? No. Was he a cult leader? Yes, but not in the way they attempted to paint it. Did he take advantage of his station? Yes. Was he a polygamist and did he marry teenage girls? That seems to be the case. But the real question we need to ask here is did the government overstep its bounds? Did they, in the very least, begin a process that killed 85 people needlessly? Did they have the right to gas toddlers, even if David Koresh owned automatic weapons? Did they set up one of the most public executions in American history and televise it to the masses? The siege at Waco is one of the most disgusting displays of American law enforcement in history. Kids were tortured and burned to death because the ATF, the FBI, and the White House had something to prove. When that didn't pan out, they had to cover their tracks. 85 people died because they stood up for their peculiar religious beliefs and their right to bear arms. Autopsies revealed that some women and children were found beneath the fallen concrete wall of a storage room and died of skull injuries. One report claimed that the evidence hints at the use of a shape charge in that area. Autopsy photos of other children locked in what appear to be spasmic death poses are consistent with cyanide poisoning, as produced by burning CS gas. It doesn't matter if David Koresh was the leader of a doomsday cult, or if he had automatic weapons. Those kids didn't deserve that. Those women didn't deserve that. The men, including Koresh, didn't deserve that. The state has said that this was the only way. They said that Koresh was stalling. They said that he wasn't going to write the Seven Seals manuscript, and that tear gas had to be pumped into Mount Carmel. But Ruth Riddle came out of that fire with the manuscript. They lied. And people died. The investigation and hearings that were conducted by Congress were heated, morbid, and enlightening. Orrin Hatch fought for the FBI. Joe Biden defended the ATF. Chuck Schumer degraded survivors and witnesses in the defense of the state. The Clintons authorized military force on citizens. These are your rulers. These people are still in power. Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton still want to ascend to the presidency. They would look you in the eye and tell you with a straight face that you have to trust the people in charge. I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to do that. There's your red pill. Don't take the whole bottle. I was old and lonely, living in the dark. No light, no color. That anyone would impart Wishing I was there No longer here Until I heard a little girl Who stood beside my chair